Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and I'm just introducing this one. I don't have to do the interview. Light Reading's editor-in-chief, Ray LaMaitre, interviewed OVM chief analyst Ed Barton about 5G, more specifically what we're looking for in the next five years. What is 5G promising? Um, What applications and services are enabled versus created by 5G? And and really, where's the consumer appeal? Um, Ed's new report, 5G Key Opportunities and Challenges in Consumer and Entertainment, is available right now on ovum.com. And uh, you can see Ray LaMaitre's video interview on lightreading.com. So check both of those out. But in the meantime, put up your feet, grab a beverage, and enjoy the interview. I'm here with Ed Barton from Ovum. And Ed, you've just put in a Herculean effort (laughs) to uh, write a report about the consumer and entertainment, I think, possibilities for 5G service providers. Can you tell us a little bit about about that report and 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 why you've done it basically sure so um look i mean the when we when we started doing this report i think the key thing was obviously there's a huge amount of media uh coverage and discussion of some of the earliest 5g deployments around us switzerland korea um and uh, a, a growing number of countries on a week by week basis um, and you know, when we were obviously there's a huge amount of excitement in general in the in the in the network operator ecosystem um, amongst the large OTT platforms about you know this is this the next great growth narrative uh, for our segments for our industries for our corporations and you know we did we did we didn't we have noticed repeatedly that a large amount of the coverage does tend to focus on what we might classify as very sort of far future or space age um, use cases for 5G, which we're hugely excited about. Um, <laughs> but we, we, we just think or, that... Or not in the case of the remote surgery. Well, I don't know who's I mean, no, excited no, about no, no, no. Well, Of course, re- remote <laughs> surgery done efficiently would be a fantastic um, leap forward for humanity. I, I have no doubt of that. Um, but, you know, we just think when we're, when we're thinking about, so what are the opportunities from 5G, there's probably a few things to think about before we get to remote surgery, um, you know, remote vehicles, autonomous drone uh, networks, and et cetera, et cetera. That's not to say we aren't hugely excited by those, but, you know, in, 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 in the business world, obviously we work relatively closely with the companies who are having to spend a huge amount of money to make 5G networks a reality. Um, and, you know, if you're in a position where you're looking for a return on investment within the next few years, you, you, can't, af- you can't afford to wait for remote surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the report was just like, so let's just think a little bit about what some of the perhaps more visible, more viable near-term use cases could be for 5G networks. Um, we know that a lot of the consumer and entertainment use cases that are currently on 4G will be transferring straight over to 5G as we go through the um, the natural transitions of handset upgrades, yeah. mobile subscription upgrades, um, which we fully expect to be seeing, you know, by the early 2020s, we fully expect uh, USA, India and China, for example, three of the leading 5G nations in our view, um, to have somewhere in a region of 40% penetration of the mobile user base for 5G subscriptions. Now, in the 4G era, 
we did notice that it was the 40% penetration rate, which tended to be a bit of a tipping point for some of the application makers, the service providers looking to use that network to reach their customers. Right. So that's what we were kind of looking. So we think early 2020s, these very, very large com- com- countries, very large markets will be at or around 40%. And we would expect, um, you know, so, uh, well, there's a lot of activity currently, but a real intensifying of that activity. You know, what are the new things we can do with 5G networks? What is diff- what's going to be different yes. um, relative to 4G? You know, because these things, um, they, they generate a lot of publicity and they, they, they convince people to... Uh, to, uh, to make the leap. To jump right. aboard, so yeah. to speak. Exactly, yeah. So can you give us a couple of examples of applications that that, that will be different, that yeah. will be kind of unique to 5G, I guess? No, this is the million-dollar question, to <laughs> be honest. Look, so I think, I think at the moment what we're doing is, so we're making a distinction between consumer and entertainment use cases which are improved by 5G. Okay. So possible on 4G before, and they're going to be better on 5G. Right. And then use cases which we might loosely term as enabled by 5G. Okay. Either were not possible on 4G or other types of networks, or were possible, but with such a severely degraded quality of experience that actually, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's realistic to say you really want to just use this on, on a 5G network. Yeah. So, you know, when we're thinking about improved by 5G, then it's very, very simple. You know, like a couple of the biggest revenue pools which will transition over quickest obviously be things like video streaming and the associated business models. So one of the things we think with 5G, uh, which is currently a problem on 4G networks, isn't hugely exciting except on the supply side maybe, is that when a service provider is live streaming a show or perhaps more likely a sports match to a very, very large audience, they will, they, the quality of experience will be much better for a much larger group of people. The additional capacity, the additional uh, throughput, uh, the quality of the data connection. So we expect a pretty large transition in video spending, video advertising to come over pretty quickly. Um, Another one which we would argue is improved by 5G rather than enabled by 5G would be the provision of domestic broadband, what is called uh, FWA by analysts and telcos, fixed wireless access. So instead of having um, a fiber cable or a physical cable of any description to your household, it's, it's fiber over the air, essentially. Um, this is what we've seen from Verizon, from I think it's uh, Sunrise in Switzerland, I believe they're called, um, earliest near-term use case for 5G fast domestic broadband, uh, much faster than the fiber connections you can get in the areas and uh, able to be provisioned at a relatively competitive price as well, um, especially in areas where there's a high um, high average broadband pricing, so lots of uh, headroom to compete. We also, so when we think about some of the near-term use cases which we would classify as enabled by 5G, I think there we started looking pretty closely at um, augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality. Okay. So these are places where we've seen a huge amount of experimentation, uh, the groundswell of interest from network operators, from content um, providers. We had Hollywood Studios experimenting with, you know, making content in um, VR in particular and MR to an extent. And okay, so with VR, AR, and MR. The, one of the main determinants of the quality of experience is uh, low latency. So when you move the headset, the HMD or your phone, if you happen to be using that, then it's extremely responsive 
And uh, with something like augmented reality, where you know the experience for many applications depends on very, very quick access to large pools of data to basically say, oh, you know, here's, a, here's the train station on your mapping app, or there's probably more likely there's the next Pokemon you've got to go and catch, whatever. That this is a very slick, quick, and seamless experience. For VR and AR, viewers like get thrown out very, very quickly mm-hmm. if it's a laggy or, um, or uh, unsatisfying experience from motion sickness and all of this. So we, we see those three use cases um, as potentially uh, exciting near-term use cases. So entertainment, yeah, one possible application for that. For AR, there's a lot of very interesting, uh, well, experimentation and near-term and deployments already in a commercial sense around what I would classify broadly of using AR to en- enhance a premises-based experience, enhance a physically-based experience. So around sports stadiums, um, large-scale sporting events, uh, Olympi- the pr- uh, recent Olympics in Pyeongchang and um, um, uh, other large-scale sports events. Um, we've seen this in physical retail for theme parks as well, where you're using um, augmented reality either for sort of functional purposes, uh, you know, uh, enhancing the retail experience, say, or the food and beverage type experience in a in a particular place with retail. Um, it's getting more and more common where you can have a, you know, you can very quickly see yourself wearing your new hat or hairstyle. Or right. About, uh, this, yep. this sort of thing. Um, and, and, you know, with, with this sort of thing, it's, it's, um, it's, as, it's as far as your, the creative's imagination can, can take you, I guess. Um, but we've seen a lot of interest in, um, in, uh, in organizations looking to use AR. So instead of, you know, instead of, you know, how do you get around Disney World or something like this, you know, there, there can be a very child-friendly in particular AR way of, uh, of, of delivering that information as well. Um, other things that we've seen, I think, that I would also highlight would be, okay, so cloud gaming is something that's been around for a while. Um, cloud gaming is another um, consumer experience, the quality of which is massively uh, dependent on low latency. Um, if you're shooting someone or punching someone in a video game, you don't want to be waiting a long time so <laughs> uh, for it to happen. <laughs> Um, and so, look, we, we know look, cloud gaming has been possible, has been around for a decade or so. Um, it's very much currently a fixed experience at people's homes tied to a console, almost certainly a PlayStation, because PlayStation now is the only one that's really gained traction. We now have um, initiatives from Microsoft and Google who are building huge cloud gaming platforms. They very much see this as a new pillar of gaming distribution. Um, and, uh, you know, one way in which we look at, you know, so what does 5G do to cloud gaming? Well, it should improve the quality of experience as latency comes down. It makes me a more responsive experience. And, of course, it potentially, and we don't know if there's a consumer demand for this, um, but it also enables the cloud gaming experience to be taken out of the living room and, and on the move as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as with a lot of these things, 5G is just one part of that. You know, of course, Actually, Microsoft and Google um, investing billions of dollars in this is also a pretty uh, absolutely is, absolutely. is a pretty significant driver. Yeah. Um, and then the, la- the last ones I'd highlight just very quickly would be, um, uh, you know, we, we've seen some very interesting proofs of concept um, from some TV service providers around using the handset as a set-top box, which again is is possible with today's networks and today's technology. It's just the quality of the experience, the resolution of the video feed. Um, the extent to which you have to compress the audio, 
um, is 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 just not not that great yet, especially if you're just using a handset. So this model, sorry, depends on um, you know you have your handset as the as a mobile viewing device with you through the day. When you get home at the end of the day, you leave your handset near your big screen somehow, and the um, the video TV video stream gets cast from your handset to the big screen. So you want nice resolution. You want uncompressed audio because this could be on your um, very fancy home entertainment system where artifacting right. or any of the other sort of um, problems you could have with streaming quality would be would be much more apparent. Um, so you know, look, we think that's we think that's reasonably we think that's an interesting model, uh, not simply because of the technology, but also because it enables you know, look, um, TV subscription service providers have tended to target households. Through this model, we could argue you know you can now target individuals as well. Right. Uh, another okay. on the commercial side, potentially um, interesting. Uh, and a little bit of exp- interesting experimentation around 3D and holographic video as well, although not to the extent we've seen for um, the various types of reality. Okay. Uh, so those are some of the things which we've looked at, you know, relative, well, which, we, which we're keeping an eye on in terms of is this going to be um, the next exciting big thing for 5G. Okay. And then in the course of your research for this report, yeah. did you come across any um, surprises, anything you, you were expecting that you didn't find or, or anything that, that jumped out that was completely unexpected? Or, you know, was it really a case of, of, of pinning down what's been talked about so mm. far and, and figuring out, you know, what's realistic o- over sort of near, medium and long term? The, the, to me, uh, personally speaking, and this may simply be a function that I've been tracking the space for a, a reasonable amount of time now. Yeah. There wasn't anything hugely surprising. Uh, the biggest, okay, so a couple, uh, okay, so one surprise is that, I mean, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but actually perhaps some of the, um, some of the biggest strides being made in VR, virtual reality entertainment uh, are coming from the adult entertainment industry, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, who are doing a pretty effective job at monetizing a relatively niche form of VR entertainment. But there's there's a huge number of problems which filmmakers need to solve. Um, and simply because of the volume of material these people are making, um, you know, they've had to start solving them first. Uh, you have um, a number of issues, which one of which is termed as the giant woman problem. You put on a VR headset and the... Um, the individuals around you look like giants, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, and this uh, uh, might have a bit of an impact on your immersion levels, unless you tend to have a particular interest in in being with giant people, I guess, which I'm sure might be a niche in itself. Um, look, another thing that I was that I've sort of been looking for, and um, you know, hasn't like smacked any of us in the face yet. When we were kind of transitioning to the 4G era. Um, and this is the kind of thing that we're looking for in 5G, and I don't believe its equivalent has emerged yet. No, you know, there, no one guessed that uh, a 4G connection uh, married with a handset with location awareness, a mapping app, and payment processing, almost ubiquitous through 4G handsets, would give rise to Uber or ride-hailing apps. And, you know, these were using some of the differentiated capabilities that came along with the 4G generation. So when we look at 5G, we're like, what are the differentiated capabilities which app or service makers are going to use, which is going to, you know, perhaps form the definitive or defining consumer and entertainment experience, which is only possible or enabled by 5G? Well, I think those things would probably be ultra-low latency, 
uh, and perhaps something to do with mobile edge computing as well. Uh, and network slicing um, might be another one. Network slicing being where you can basically say, um, this is the bit of the network which only this entity is allowed to use. Yeah. So this is already being used for emergency services communications. But when we think about things like remote vehicles or autonomous drones or remote, our, our good friend remote surgery, um, you know, the, for communications uh, data streams, which absolutely 100% have to get through um, to where they need to go and back again, then you can basically say, look, here's your own slice of the network. There's not going to be anyone else um, on this bit of the network. You can, we can provision network conditions and characteristics on the fly and make it exactly how you give you exactly the network characteristics and performance dynamics you want. Um, pretty relatively, you know, very interesting on a technical basis. Um, but again, we just come back to the, you know, show me the use case, show me the money, yeah, which is going to yeah. be around the next five years. Well, I mean, it's it's very early days. Um, you know, Korea is probably the most advanced market in these uh, early months of, of mm. 5G launches. Um, and I'm sure maybe, you know, it's the middle of 2019. Yeah. By the end of 2019, the the opportunities and the uh, some of those kind of, well, if we bought these things together, yeah. how might it create something new? Some of, some of those might be emerging by that point. So... I to totally agree. I mentioned earlier the 40% tipping point for penetration is when we start to see the app developers, the service providers really start throwing huge amounts of resource yeah. at the various problems. So that's, that's certainly one thing that we look at. The other observation I'd make is that 5G evolution we see as a 10-year story. It was similar to 4G, long-term evolution. Yeah, we're, 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 we're still at the caveman drawing stage of, uh, Absolutely. of, of, of 5G. Yeah. And, you know, like, so remember when, we, when we came to 3G, I think one of the big things that Hutchison at the time was promoting is we're now all going to be doing video calls. I mean, we're, we're, you know, what happens to this? So, so you know, <laughs> so, so there's a good chance that a lot of the guesses we're making now will be about as good as that. So we remain relatively humble <laughs> in the face of that situation. Yeah. And, you know, we try to remain as sen sensitive as we can um, to, you know, what we would expect to be some of the more exciting use cases uh, emerging over the next few years. And, you know, we'd, we'd argue that your perspective, your field of vision for that, um, from where I'm currently sat in, in the London office of Informa, fortunately a global company, um, is, uh, big, well, I mean, I say you need a broad field of vision because by far the largest 5G user base is going to be China, which will be up to half a billion uh, 5G consumer subscriptions uh, by 2022, 2023 or something like this. Um, and so, you know, we think there's a good chance, given the backing of the Chinese government uh, for 5G, that perhaps some of the most interesting innovations um, could well be coming out of uh, China and the Far East. Now, this is a particularly um, pertinent thing to keep an eye on at the moment, given some of the global trade tensions. Right. I yep. mean, um, you know, I've, I think, um, you know, there's long been a view around the telecommunications industry globally that, um, you know, if there is going to be a major schism um, around 5G, whether it be the provision of technology or the, just the general global trade environment, then it, it could well be the people outside China who lose more than the Chinese. That is a distinct possibility, but let's hope, you know, let's catch up when we're getting closer to that 40% mark in some of the, uh, in some of the markets. And hopefully by that point, we'll be able to talk about how 
we have unity in the <laughs> industry again and that, that the schisms, the potential schisms have gone away. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, thanks for uh, giving us a, a, a little taste uh, of your, your research and your findings and uh, certainly looking forward to, to finding out the next iteration of that report and, and the new findings you found. Ed, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by Tian Fu in New York. Our show notes are all available at lightreading.com. As a reminder, you can get the Light Reading Podcast from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and dozens of other platforms and apps. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for getting your telecom news from lightreading.com.